0: welcome. Be like seeds. Do not see dirt thrown at you as your enemy, but as ground to grow. Now, when I say this, this kind of begs the question then, how do you look at life? Are you a pessimist or an optimist? Are you a half full kind of individual or a half empty individual? Do you see dirt that's thrown at you as an insult, or as an opportunity to grow. You know, we covered some difficult directions from our Lord last week, and things like love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, turn the other cheek. And we also recognize that these things are next to impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We recognize that we need to be continuously molded and shaped and growing in our faith. Well, precious people, we're only halfway there. (laughs) We still have a lot of hard things that Jesus is going to ask us to do here in this chapter as we close it out and finish the sermon on the plain. Today, we're going to take a look at the golden rule. We're going to take a look at generosity, mercy. We're going to take a look and just like my nickname was the troubadour, which just means a French storyteller, and uh, <laughs> Jesus is going to end this chapter with a story of his own about a house and building it on the rock. The title of today's message, Do the Hard Things. Would you pray with me? Precious Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity just to gather together, to be here and get a little bit closer to you, to know you a little bit more. And God, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us. Lord, that as you do, I'm going to encourage the congregation to do the hard things. Lord, that you would be by our side, that you would help us to do those, that we would decrease so that you would increase, that we could be those true ambassadors of Christ that you call us to be. Each and every day. So God, as we come before you, as we look at your word, we pray that you would etch it upon our hearts. But God, if there's anything of man, let it fall upon deaf ears. Know how much we love you. We thank you. We sing your praises. And everybody said, amen. 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 If there's anybody here who needs a Bible, just raise your hand. And one of the ushers will come around and provide that. We're going to be picking it up in chapter 6 in the book of Luke, starting in verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. What is this? The golden rule. Exactly. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. The golden rule. It is not he that owns the gold makes the rules. If you listen to Robert Kiyosaki, written author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that's what he says. And there's truth in that statement, but we're going to look at this from a spiritual sense. Now, when we look at the rest of Scripture, maybe the Old Testament, does this sound maybe a little familiar? Turn with me, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And in verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, notice how this scripture is written. It's in the negative, isn't it? Don't take vengeance, don't bear a grudge. But what do we see here in our passage in Luke that Jesus is encouraging us? What is it that he gives to us? You see, he takes the principle of the scripture and he turns it around. He makes it a positive. Such love as Jesus describes recognizes the preferences of others and is sensitive to them. Nowadays, there's so many teachers that go ahead and they put this into the negative. Don't do to anyone that you don't want done to you. It's a very common thing, right? We see this in Hillel, Confucius, and all of them say things similar to this, but it's always in the negative. Whatever's distasteful to you and you don't want done to you, you just don't do that to someone else. In general, it's a good rule to follow, right? But Jesus goes ahead and he puts in a positive light. Hey, not just the negative, like don't hit him because you don't want him to hit you, but you go ahead and make it positive. Now, what happens when you make a mistake? You want to be treated kind. You want to be treated with understanding. You want to be treated with sympathy, right? You see, then that's the way that we should treat others when they make that mistake. Kindly, sympathetic, and with understanding. How do you want people to treat you? That's the way that you are to treat them, Jesus says. And so he turns the negative to a positive. And this leads us into actual positive actions rather than just refraining from negative ones. Verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Now, let's look at this meaning. We are to love those who are unlovable. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And that brings us to our first point today love the unlovable. Love the unlovable. Do you think the tax collectors were loved during those days? (laughs) No, they were unlovable. Yet still, Jesus dined with tax collectors and sinners. And then he even loved one tax collector so much that he called Matthew and said, follow me. So he left all rose, and followed him. We saw that in Luke chapter 5, 27 and 28. Now, in the book of Romans, Paul says it like this. Jesus died for the ungodly. Romans 5 verses 6 through 8 states, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God loved us while we were still yet sinners. Christ gives the ex- ultimate example of how we are to be. He was reviled. He was spit on. He was mocked. And yet still he went to the cross. Not because of his sins for he was the sinless lamb of God. But for yours and for mine. Is it easy to love those who don't love us? No. But then look at yourself in a mirror. What did we do to earn the gift of eternal life with him? Nothing. Yet still, he loved us this much. Verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Now, I love our post office. Okay, I'm not going to get off. I, why is it we pay the same taxes as everybody else, but we have to go to the post office and everybody else gets it delivered to a mailbox in front of the house. Okay, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. But I love our post office because when you walk in, you open up the first door and there's the foyer and you can go to the left and go into your PO boxes or you could go to the right and go in on up to the clerk and there's a second door that's there. And I don't know how many times that I've been walking up and somebody's been walking behind me and I open up that first door and they go ahead and walk in. What usually inevitably happens at the second door? Well, they go ahead and return the favor and they hold the door open for you, right? But what if you walked up and you held open the door for that person and then they just go ahead and walk through the next door they don't hold it open for you. You both go to your P.O. boxes, and you both have a yellow slip that's in it. You both walk back through, you're standing in line, they're in front of you, and now they have a boatload of packages that they have to take out to their car. How inclined are you to open up that door again for them, even after they didn't do it to you? It's difficult, right? It is hard to do that. It isn't so easy, is it? But it's what Christ would do. It's what our God wants us to do. What credit is to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive back as much. So I spoke last week about Benjamin Franklin and his pay it forward custom. How you don't ask for anybody, anything back or with interest. Instead you lend to somebody with the idea of receiving nothing back. That's what's called paying it forward. And it's what Jesus is saying here too. Pay it forward because even sinners expect to get repaid Repeating the examples, Jesus points to the disciples' love and that we are to be such within the world that that love is going to require some sacrifice on our part. Which brings us to our second point. Love requires sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. Now, when you do the laundry, clean the house, cook the meals you do those things because they're fun? (laughs) No, but they can be. (laughs) And I'll get to that in a moment. But I can think of a hundred other things that I would rather be doing than those that I just named. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yes, right? You see, but those things need to be done, don't they? Yeah. Now, Adam, you had just said that they can be fun. Circle back to that one, if you will try to out bless your partner we had a marriage ministry here at the church and with it we were going through a book um, with Tom and Francis and it was a book by Francis Chan and by one on one of the weeks he presented the challenge he said go ahead and try to out bless that partner of yours And that was something that Michelle and I had done. And here it is. She would go shopping. And when she got home, I had picked up the house or did the dishes. And then we'd race to see who was going to be the first one to turn on the electric blankets to keep us warm in the middle of the night. (laughs) I would make sure that her coffee was made first thing in the morning when she came down the stairs. These things were little sacrifices. Sure, it was a blessing. But you know what's awesome about it? We didn't do it just for the weak. It continues to this day. Love requires sacrifice. Verse 35. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. So, Jesus reiterates, he summarizes these directives, saying, love your enemies, do good, and when lending, expect nothing. Now, notice, practice, uh, uh, excuse me, the practice of loving one's enemies is modeled by God himself, who is kind to the unthankful and evil. I've shared with you, sometimes I wish God wasn't so kind to the unthankful. And evil. And that's my flesh, though, that's that's talking, right? But Jesus also notes that there will be rewards that are great for the losses that were suffered in practicing that type of love. Let's take a look at Matthew 19, verses 28 and 29. Matthew 19, verses 28 and 29. And starting in verse 28, he says, So Jesus said to them. Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or wives, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold that inheritance Of eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. So the divine compensation package is 100 fold. That's 10,000%. Now I'm no banker. But that's a pretty good return. Amen. (laughs) So let's be last in this world. Yet first in his kingdom. Verse 36. Therefore be merciful. Just as your father. Is also merciful. This. Is another way. To define the essence. Of love. It is forgiving. We as disciples are asked. To apply the standard. That matches what God does. Just as God is also merciful. And that brings us to our third point. Love is merciful. Love is merciful. Now, you see, mercy isn't easy when it comes to others, right? It's easy when we want it. (laughs) Remember what the definition of mercy is. The Greek word that's used here is okitermon. And it means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It means pitiful. Not that you are pitiful. It's you have pity for that person. (laughs) Compassionate for the ills of others. And it's used twice here in Luke 36. Merciful as the character of God and to be expressed in his people. But Adam, they don't deserve mercy. Neither do you. Now, you don't know what they did to me, though. And Jesus forgives us and shows us mercy. But Adam, you know what? Don't even finish the sentence. And I believe that the problem is what we do is we compare ourselves to others when we need to be comparing ourselves, the mercy and grace that's given to us by Jesus see, we are nothing but filthy rags. We're the chief of all sinners, because that's the standard when we measure it up against Jesus. We don't deserve mercy, but thank God he is merciful. When we became Christians, nobody said mercy was going to be an easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Continuing in verse 37, judge not and you shall not be judged, condemn not and you shall not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, the idea here isn't that we should ignore sin or discuss its consequences. For example, look in Luke 11, a couple of chapters, a couple of pages over to the right. Luke 11, starting in verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, so this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Now, you Pharisees, make the outside of the cup uh, clean, uh, cup and dish clean. But your inward parts is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones. (laughs) Do you think? Jesus has given them, reading them the right after what? Yeah, right? Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are have not seen and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. See, Jesus is definitely calling them out on their sin, but rather here in verse 37, he's saying, one should be gracious gracious and quick to forgive. Verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So this illustration comes from the marketplace when they would fill up the bags of grain and they'd have to shake them down and then fill them to overflowing so that the buyer was knowing that he received a good and fair amount that was purchased. Now I brought here today my favorite nutritional cereal. What? what? It's made. It says here, corn and oats. That's nutritional, right? <laughs> However, you, you buy the cereal, right? You bring it home. And then you go ahead and you, you open and you look inside. It's like half full, right? Isn't that disappointing? Doesn't that always upset you? And, th- and this is the larger size too, right? Oh, but wait. Right here on the side of the box, it says, Adam, this package is sold by weight, not by volume. Some settling may have occurred during the shipping and handling. Are you generous? You see, a lot of times, we can be like that. We can give only a portion of that box. Oh, we go to church. We've got the Christian t-shirts, and we listen to K-Wave and KSGN and Air One. But when someone needs our help, when someone needs a meal, or someone needs just a little bit more in the finance department, we can be stingy with our time, our food, and our money, even though God gives to each and every one of us so generously. And that brings us to our fourth and our final point. Love is generous. Love is generous. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 9 7. 2nd Corinthians 9 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful. Giver. Now, the literal translation of this verse is God loves a hilarious giver. Hilarious implies that God wants a giver filled with exuberance, a jovial glee, a giver with an enthusiastic heart. Now, sometimes I get in trouble because I give an enthusiastic tip. But growing up as a kid, you see, I never had much. I mean, my father was a good father, and he provided for us. We had a nice house. We, you know, had plenty of food on the table. We always had clothes on our backs. Now, they were tough skin jeans. Do <laughs> you guys remember those from Sears, right? Yeah. Had an X on the pocket instead of a really cool Chevron like the Levi's. But you know what? That's one of the reasons why it was always such a big deal to me when my grandmother would throw a couple of dollars into a card for a birthday. Because then I wasn't the kid who had to mooch off of his friends constantly. I could actually bless them. And there's nothing that gives me more joy than being able to pick up the tab for somebody's coffee, somebody's dinner, or just help them out. Besides as such, it says the full measure. That is It will be returned to the one who has been generous. Verse 39. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So the reference here is for teachers who cannot see where they're going and hence unable to lead others. Jesus was warning against self-righteousness and arrogance. And if you came out to the fireside chat with us uh, the first Sunday of every evening of the month, shameless plug, (laughs) I told everyone there that here it was, I'm not one of those brainiacs. I don't have a photographic mind. I am not a Jeff Gill or a Jordan Peterson, not by any means. But what I am is a good investigator. That benefited me as a police officer. It benefits me when I delve into God's scripture and when studying his word. But as such, I am very careful. I am also very careful of what gets put out here at the pulpit. And I will tell you in something when it's my opinion or my belief, as opposed to what some scholars might say. But I will always attempt to lead us away from that ditch, and as such... I'll be judged accordingly. Now, it's debated whether Jesus was actually describing the Pharisees here or simply a warning to the disciples about arrogance and dangerous attitudes. Now, remember, we saw in verse 20, though, that it was being directed. This sermon was being directed at the disciples, at us. So, although I believe that that's who the primary audience is, It would have also applied to the teachers in Jesus' day, those Pharisees. Now, in verse 40, it says, will be like his teacher. Jesus states that usually the disciple is like his teacher. That being the case, what is the implication? Be careful who your teacher is. Verse 41. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that's in your own eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrites. First remove the plank in your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Now, I almost wonder if Jesus didn't have a smile on his face when he was saying this. I mean, picture somebody with a two-by-four sticking out of their face, right? However, a speck refers to a small fault in a person in contrast to the plank, which represents a large fault in making the one that was making the criticism. Now, notice the speck would be like a a piece of sawdust um, as opposed to a two by four. Interesting though, they're both made out of the same material, wood. In other words, when there is a specific sin in our lives, we're very good at spotting that sin in others. You know, I had a uh, sergeant when I worked graveyards that first thing he'd take off and sure enough, every night, He'd go ahead and, hey, I need a unit for a turnover. I got a drunk driver here. And we'd roll out, and we'd go ahead, and we'd arrest this drunk driver. And then he'd disappear for the rest of the night. But this was his, his MO. Every night, go out. He'd find a drunk, find a drunk, turn it over, turn it over. And, and this was a regular thing. And turns out he was going into the back afterwards and sleeping the rest of his shift. But one of the days... He's coming back, uh, coming in from the back parking lot, and as he walks past the office, the officers like, "Hey, morning, Sarge." He's all, like, oh, "Good morning," and the officers are all, "I know that smell. It's the smell of the people that I arrest for drinking and driving." He was an alcoholic. He was going out, drinking and driving while turning over those that were drinking and driving. He was reprimanded and uh, almost lost his job. However, he was very good at finding DUI drivers because he was one too. (laughs) So Jesus says that we should go ahead and confront the sin that we deal with in our own lives first, before he or she is in a position to help another in that area of their life. Now, that being said, how much more can you tolerate a person who, in essence, has been there, done that? Right? Yeah, I mean, if you've never struggled with alcohol or drugs and yet somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you know what, Uh, you need to get away from those inherent evils and sin in your life. You see, how much better, how much easier is it when somebody comes alongside of you and says, hey, I've been through this. I know the emptiness that's inside of your heart. God was good to deliver me and he'll deliver you too. You see, that's a pill that I can swallow just a little bit easier. Let's make sure our plank isn't knocking anyone over today. Jesus goes on in verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You know, all you have to do is stand around and listen to people's conversations, and it doesn't take long to reveal where their heart is. Out of the abundance of the heart, a man speaks. It comes out. And if you're standing next to some people, it'll be like standing next to an open cesspool. You know what's in their heart, and it stinks. (laughs) And that's why I caution everybody when it comes to profanity. You know, being in the military, profanity was almost like a second language for me, okay? And as such, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with it. I just thought I was expressing my point of view and stating it so much clearer. (laughs) However, little did I realize that really it just displayed my ignorance and poverty of language. You see, when someone says to us, Hey, you've got a mouth like a sailor, that... I apologize to all my Navy guys in here, okay? Guess what? That's not a compliment. (laughs) As an ambassador for Christ, we are called to be better than that. And as such, let's represent a God who is holy. And as such, we should be holy. Amen? And then Jesus asks a very interesting question. One that we should be asking ourselves today. Verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? <laughs> you see, this implies the Lord as master and we as servants. I am the servant, he is the Lord. But I believe in our culture, we really don't know what it means to be a slave, to have the total property. Taken away from us. To be the property of another person. To be required to obey obey implicitly, without question, anything that is demanded of you. See, we're a bunch of independent, free thinkers in this country. So, as Americans, I think, believe it can be very difficult to even conceive this. And so, we find it easy to say, oh, Lord, Lord. And yet, how inconsistent is it? If you call Jesus Lord and yet you don't obey. Now Jesus is giving us a lot to consider here as far as obedience is concerned. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Offer the other cheek. Don't judge. In James 1.22 it states, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves what we read is what Jesus ideally requires of us and is commanding us to do and be. And then we say, oh, Lord, I don't think I can do that. Lord, there's no way I can do that. And then his response is, why do you call me Lord? Unless you're going to do the things that I command of you. You see, if you're not obeying what I'm commanding you, then am I really your Lord? That's what he's saying exactly to you and to me. And so this really does create a need for a great self-examination. Geo called for us to examine each and every one of us on Wednesday. And Paul says it. When we come to the Lord's table, let us examine ourselves. For if we'll judge ourselves, verse 37, judge not and you shall not be judged. And I think so often that we're just prone to go ahead and shrug off some of the commands that Christ... Gives us that we don't necessarily agree with or that we don't want to go along with, then we'll pick and choose. Oh, I like that one. Oh, that one's my favorite. But that one, no, 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 no. I think people interpret things just a little bit differently. It's different ways, so I have a different interpretation altogether. But if I'm going to use the title, Lord, then I need to take a look at his commands and at least. Will to obey them. Not argue with them, but choose to obey. Verse 47, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great." you know, in our our marriage ministry that we're going through, the book starts off talking about storms and how uh, about in Texas they would have these signs that would go ahead and say storm warning. And, you know, the author was like, yeah, yeah, I've been here for six years now. I get it. Another storm is coming and everything. But no, they meant to be prepared, you know, to go ahead and get sandbags and be ready because flooding was going to come. And then it did. Did he have sandbags? No. He had cardboard and painter's tape. (laughs) He literally went around his entire house with painter's tape around the seams of the door and cardboard in an attempt to keep the water out. Do you think it worked? Yeah. But we can see here in this passage, there is importance to that digging deep, that laying a good foundation in your faith in Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. Too many shallow foundations in the world today, yes? Too many people trying to build a superstructure when they don't have a foundation. Building on emotions, building on experiences, building on exciting times, building on glory. But when the storm comes... And it will come if you haven't laid a good foundation on the rock. The rock, our rock, Jesus, the house isn't going to stand. Now, both cases, in both of these uh, subject cases, uh, the storm tests them. God does not promise you immunity from your problems, from the trials, from the hardships. It's going to come to every one of us alike. Through life, there are going to be difficulties that we are going to have to face. Difficulties that we cannot understand or rationalize or try to think of how a good, loving, and just God and try to rationalize things based off of that situation of a loving, kind, and merciful Heavenly Father. The storm is going to come. It'll beat on us vehemently. And if you take the time to lay that good foundation, the reading his word, being in prayer, fellowshipping with your fellow brothers and Christians, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to find the whole world collapsing around you. And you'll be swept away if you're not doing those things. How important that we dig deep, that we obey, that we do the things that Jesus commanded. Practice doing them rather than just arguing with him and telling him why we can't do things and making up excuses. He doesn't want our excuses. He wants us to change our condition. You say, Adam, I can't do that. And you're exactly right. Jesus knows it. But do it anyhow. For when you will to obey, all that you need to do is obey that will. And it'll be given to you in that moment. God, make us willing today. Amen? Amen. 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 Today, we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and start handing out the elements. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we prepare ourselves for communion. In 1 Corinthians 11.27, it states, I went to a funeral one time, a Catholic funeral. And the priest went ahead and said, we're going to go ahead and give communion today. And I thought, how perfect is this? How awesome is this that we're doing communion at a funeral, that we recognize that here it is, just as Jesus died and was buried and rose again, that we can go ahead and put our hope and faith in the fact that we are going to rise again. And I thought, ah, this is perfect and then the priest says, if you are Catholic, come down and receive communion. If you're not, cross your arms in front of you and we'll give you a blessing. Now, I don't know, but I don't see anywhere in Scripture when Jesus was feeding the 4,000 or the 5,000 that he told his disciples. Hey, if they're Jews, yeah, go ahead and give them bread and fish. But if they're not, just give them a blessing. Now, now that being said, I understand where this priest was coming from. Where's our worship team? They should be here any moment now, I'm certain. <laughs> I understand where the priest was coming from. Because number one, those that stand up on the stage, priests, pastors, we're held to a higher standard. And just as I read in this passage, you see, we're not supposed to receive this in an unworthy manner. So you see, what he was saying in essence is if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't just be eating crackers and drinking juice. You need to be right with Jesus first before we receive this. So let's take a moment as the worship team gets ready and starts to play and prepare our hearts and our minds in order to receive communion. If you would, everyone, please just repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. See, with the sinner's prayer, it doesn't need to be anything long and drawn out. And if you, that was the first time that you just prayed this or there was somebody online, then welcome to the family of God. Or if you backslidden, make this day a day that you set the spike in the ground and say, never again. I am not going to backslide like I did this last time. And then be obedient to what his word says. Paul goes on and he continues. In verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take bread. Eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ, let us partake. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. Let us partake. Would you pray with me? Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. We can never give you enough thanks and praise. Lord, just as I believe there's revival going back on in the East and how they just continue to worship you and sing your prayers, I pray that you would do the same thing here. Because truly, if we just sat here and gave thanks for the blessings that you've given to us, gave thanks for the fact that you grafted us into your kingdom, into your family, Lord, we could be here for days as well. However, Lord... We sing your praises. We are remembered of what you did on the cross for us a broken body, blood that was spilled. But again, we don't have to live there because you are not nailed to the cross. No, our Savior, he was placed into a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Thank you, Jesus. For the fact that you give us all hope. The hope inside of our hearts of eternal life with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And it is in your precious name that we pray. Amen.